All right, and welcome back to another episode of Rubble with a Cause. I am your host, Eric, and today we are going to talk about uh, one of the aspects of anarchy, libertarians, um, the philosophy itself, and that is going to be about agorism. And uh, for those of you who don't understand what it is or don't know what it is, maybe you've heard it uh, referred to before, but you don't really have a, um, a good understanding of it, um, I'll kind of touch on it here a little bit. And this is uh, going to come from an um, article on libertarianism.org uh, by David S. D'Amato, and it's called Black Market Activism, Agorism, and Samuel Edward Konkin III. Uh, he created a, a theory of resistance um, to state and government and everything. It's called uh, agorism. Uh, sometimes you'll hear people call it agorism. doesn't really matter. Uh, it's kind of like pecan and pecan. It's uh, the same thing no matter where you're from. <laughs> type of thing. Uh, so instead of doing actions against the state on a political arena, um, this is more of uh, just doing things on your own that's going to make the state irrelevant. And uh, probably a good example of this would be uh, cannabis legalization that's uh, now going across the country. Um, it's still federally illegal um, to sell, ingest, and, and distribute uh, what they call marijuana. And uh, so the black market um, that sprung up around the drug war uh, has pretty much fought the state to a stalemate. Um, you now have you know, recreational legalization coming through. You have decriminalization, uh, medicinal uh, use in several states, including the one I'm in right now, Texas, um, which their medicinal policy is a, a woefully, uh, <laughs> woefully bad. It's just a, not a great thing. But that would be one good example of how uh, agorists, you know, people engaging in counter-economic uh, activity, has brought the state to its knees. Um, and other things. Similar to this um, would be 80% um, lowers on uh, AR-15s. Uh, technically, that is the serial numbered part, but there's still rules in place that allow people to make their own weapons for home use. And you don't have to register them. You don't have to do anything like that. You just, If you've got the time and the, and the discipline, you can create an 80% lower. Uh, don't, you know, can't sell it to anybody, wink, wink. Uh, uh, same goes for, you know, some of the more uh, interesting things that you can manufacture yourself, uh, but you got to have uh, manufacturer's licenses and everything for it. Uh, you know, silencers and uh, automatic uh, weapons and stuff like this. You got to have a manufacturer's FFL instead of just like a, a regular uh, where you can buy and sell. But people, again, you know, all of this stuff can be done in a metal working shop. It doesn't really matter. If you've got a lathe, a drill press, files, it, you can create this stuff yourself. Um, good example of making your own weapon. There was a, even a, a, a thread that I like to refer to every now and then. Uh, is called the uh, the ditch shovel AK, where a guy took a ditch shovel, uh, hammered it out, and made an AK receiver out of it, uh, and bought a parts kit and put the rest of it together. And it's a it's a 
good AK, and it's got a little shovel handle for the shoulder stock. Uh, and so, yeah, you can you can do this stuff. You can make make your own stuff. But uh, agorism uh, was uh, kind of uh, the brainchild of uh, Samuel Conkin the uh, Third. He was uh, born in Saskatchewan, Canada, in uh, 1947. Um, and before he stumbled upon libertarianism, and con- he conceived uh, agorism as a statement of his revolutionary ideas. Uh, Konkin was uh, already active in student political organizations, uh, heading the University of Alberta's Young Social Credit League. Um, his interactions with uh, libertarian luminaries such as Rothbard, uh, Konkin refined his ideas, eventually expounding the new libertarianism. And he even wrote a book, The New Libertarian Manifesto. Uh, consistent in its application of the principles of the Agora, you know, the open marketplace, uh, political libertarianism, at least for Konkin, was a contradiction in terms, libertarians being opposed to politics in principle, but not in practice type of thing. We, uh, you know, even today, we have a libertarian party that's trying to elect a libertarian president to do libertarian things with politics and... Uh, as an anarchist myself, I, I don't like that. Uh, there's a reason why I'm not involved in party politics anymore. Uh, I've had my bout with it, and it really goes nowhere. Uh, on the other hand, if you are a candidate and you want to get up there and knowing full well that you are probably not going to win because the party duopoly, that is the Democrats and Republicans, aren't going to let you win. They write all the rules. But if you're going to get out there and you're going to try and educate people in the way that uh, Ron Paul did, then by all means, go for it. Waste your time and money. Uh, if you're taking in donations, you just understand you're wasting other people's money. You know, a conversation needs to be had with people that are still under the spell of the two-party system. For sure. I agree with you there. But getting out there and trying to run for office, and let's say on an outside chance you do win, what then? You're now taking a salary. You're going to have to compromise on things to get uh, what you consider libertarian things done. Okay? You know, maybe start off on a local level. I I, I see the one thing I I found uh, being the uh, elections chair for the state party of Louisiana we had people coming in wanting to run for various offices around the state of Louisiana. And then we would get the, the odd email every now and then. Oh, yeah, by the way, I, I live here in New Orleans. I want to run for president of the United States on a reparations platform. And like, what? I was like, uh, you know, several emails in and then you just kind of – it was like – you finally get the truth out of them. It was like, yeah, I tried bringing this to the Democrat Party, and they didn't want to have it. So I just thought I would try out the third party. Because you guys will let anybody run, right? <laughs> it's like, no. <laughs> so it, it gets fun. It gets fun. Uh, political action uh, may not be the best way to handle certain stuff. Um, you know, here in Dallas, uh, there is a law against helping the poor and homeless people without permission. You've got to have licenses and permits to do this. But there was a group of armed people handing out 
supplies to homeless people in the Dallas area. And the police couldn't do anything about it. That's what they call A3, actual anarchy in action. You know, they were just basically saying, no, fuck your law. (laughs) We're going to do this, and there ain't nothing you can do about it. So I've joked before that say that I have agorist leanings, and and I do, and I do. It's because of things like this. It's like, look, I can get more done helping out a neighbor to do something that may not be legal above board. You know, I've used the example of, you know, if I grow something in my garden and give whatever's over, you know, I'm going to take whatever I want for myself, and if I've got anything left over, I can hand it out to a neighbor. And technically that is illegal because the FDA didn't inspect that produce. You know, and that's, that's where the gray market comes in. So, yeah, even if a, you know, a police officer had watched me bring tomatoes over to a neighbor or whatever, and just, you know, he's not going to waste his time to come and arrest me. That's not to say that it doesn't happen. I mean, just look up lemonade stands anywhere in the country that have been knocked over by police officers. They'll do it if they're trying to make an example. But yeah, if you know, hundreds of people went out there and started a lemonade stand up on their streets, I mean, nobody, there would be nothing that they could do about it because <laughs> there is such a thing as bad press. So, um, but back to Konkin. He was, uh, he was opposed to politics in principle. Um, agorism, or what he thought, would emphasize the importance of building a counter-economy. So this is where counter-economics come in. That's what I was just telling you about. Uh, libertarian economic institutions and enterprises existing outside of the legal structures of the dominant framework characterized by the state. Uh, lawn-cutting services. They're kind of all over the place now. And, you know, it may just be a guy coming around your neighborhood in a truck that's got a couple of lawnmowers on the back. And you're going to pay him in cash. Does he have a business license? I don't know. Is it one piece of manual labor that I don't have to do that week? This is where the counter economy comes in. Uh, people who actually fix lawnmowers. I uh, had a lawnmower fixed by a by a buddy of mine when I was in Louisiana, and you know I paid him through PayPal, twice what he uh, asked for to fix my lawnmower. Does he have a business license? I don't know. I don't care. Even if he did, I don't care. He came to my house on a Saturday or Sunday and fixed it with a minimal amount of tools, and he got paid on PayPal. Like, immediately. (laughs) So that was $40 in his uh, possession that he didn't have before. You know, that type of thing. You know, and this is is, uh, just actually doing it. As the A3 implies. You're just performing the anarchy that you want to see in the world, and you're just being the example of it. I use that Gandhi quote so many times. Um, You're not... You know, with agorism, you're not paying attention to any kind of arbitrary rules that are just there um, for no reason. Um, You know, if I want to make a folding knife that is spring-loaded, that's going to be illegal in several states. I I don't care. If somebody likes my knife, you know, I want to sell it to them. I'm just going to let them take on the liability of whatever, (laughs) you know. 
uh, in the state of Louisiana, they recently decriminalized uh, quote-unquote switchblades. So it's one of those things. It, there's no purpose. You know, if someone's going to stab me with a knife, they can do it just as well with a fixed blade that isn't illegal by any stretch, and I can have it as long as I want. Then I can with a little small folding knife that's got a spring in it that's going to make the blade pop out faster than what my fingers can do. And, and by the way, I can kill someone just as dead with a folding knife. What's called a friction folder that's just held in place by friction. And that's got no buttons or anything on it. It's just a hinge that you pull the knife blade out and lock into place. You need two hands to do it. I can kill someone just as dead with that. And the same goes for every firearm law that there is. It doesn't matter if my barrel on my rifle is 16 inches or if it's 12. I can still kill somebody at distance. Dead as a doornail. They're still going to be dead. And it doesn't matter how long my barrel was. In fact, I kind of want a shorter barrel because they're a little bit easier to conceal. Again, makes no sense for the concealment part to be illegal. I'm also an advocate of open carry. You know, just carry your weapons out in the open. Let's everybody know around you, hey. It's a great way to, to send the signal. Fuck around and find out. Now, I've gone out, you know, this is Texas, and yeah, I've seen people open carrying all the time. Even saw it in Louisiana when I lived there. And look, and if your thing is to carry concealed, carry concealed. Do the actual anarchy in action. Are you going to go get a permit? Are you going to go get a little permission slip from mommy government to say that it's okay for you to keep a, a gun in your waistband covered up by a shirt? No, just do it. Well, I don't know. Find out. You're going to go to jail. Yeah, probably. But if it's concealed and it's well hidden, would anybody know? And then how quick is it, you know, if you do have to use it, you know, just to tuck your shirt in? It's like, no, it was open carrying the whole time. <laughs> yeah, it's that type of thing. So the state is going to coerce and it's going to be violent towards you. And uh, rulemaking and regulations is all part of that. Because after all, if you don't do it, you know, then you start getting fined. And if you don't pay the fine, then, you know, we get gentlemen in blue costumes and nice shiny badges to come to your door. So what the agorists are saying is, hey, let's just be consistent in our ideology. We're just going to do these things, and we're just going to do it. We're not going to wait for permission from anybody. Uh, so the the goal with agorism is uh, kind of like we see with the drug war, is just bring the state to its knees. And they're just going to say, okay, all right, fine, it's decriminalized now. So the strategy for achieving the political and economic change is, and you don't even have to do this by voting, is just doing it. So the preference being that if you have enough of the population just doing these things, it just becomes legal by, by default. But you know, that's... 
not without its problems. I mean, if you got uh, people doing things on their own all the time, you know, maybe the non-aggression principle might be violated from here and there. But uh, it it has its place in your toolbox, uh, as I like to look at it. You know, libertarian philosophy is is great and wonderful. I'm not going out there hurting people or taking their stuff. And I recognize their property rights and all individual rights or property rights. So algorithm is just another tool in my belt. Okay, how much can I get away with? <laughs> how much uh, just regular human behavior can I get away with that maybe some bureaucrat in a building somewhere would find objectionable? Because I guarantee you, if I told people that, yeah, I grow, you know, whatever in my backyard and I just hand it out to my neighbors, I guarantee you there's someone who's like, well, what kind of pesticides did you use? What kind of herbicides are you using? What, what were you growing it in? Yeah, all of that stuff still, it, you know, sure, there can be a farmer out there who fertilizes his field with uh, human sewage. You know, sure, that, that happens. It happens pretty regularly down in Mexico. Every now and then, someone catches herpes from it. Because the vegetable or whatever it was wasn't properly washed. <laughs> or they get hepatitis that way. You know, it'd be another one. Yeah, sure, that stuff can happen. But then you know, hey, I'm not buying from that farmer anymore. And because I know that it came from this kind of vegetable that I know came from him, he's now liable because he violated my property rights. You see? But uh, Rothbard uh, did have some problems with um, Konkin. And uh, most of his uh, refutations from it uh, were just little debates that... Um, would happen, and he did uh, publish a response to the New Manifesto, uh, in which he argued that Konkin had failed to show the adequacy of counter-economics as a way to confront the, quote, unpleasant features of the real world, unquote. Uh, political action uh, was necessary in the macro struggle for liberty and against the state, the repeal of unjust and restrictive laws. You know, if you're, and this is Rothbard's take on it, you know, the only way that you're going to decentralize and repeal is if you actually get involved in the thing. Um, and calling it the macro struggle for liberty uh, is one thing. But, um, you know, you have to keep the, the feelings out of it. You know, if you're going to engage in black and gray market activities, you're going to have to get your emotions in check. You know, you're going to have to realize, yes, I am, I am doing this under the table. And if I get caught doing it, the state is not going to appreciate it one bit. And that's the kind of stuff that will go under permanent record, young man. That kind of stuff. But it's got its place. Okay? Now, would I be a full-on agorist? No. No. Because... As I've said before, I'm married and I have children, so sometimes I don't have the luxury of principles. But uh, I do have to, you know, provide for them. 
could I provide the same living standards that uh, that we've had before using nothing but agorism and counter economy? Maybe. But I'm not going to be doing them much good if I'm rotting away in a federal prison somewhere. So I do kind of play the game a little bit. But as far as like voting for candidates, like all of that stuff is done. I ain't doing it anymore. I'm not engaging in that. Um, trying to think of who said the quote. It's like, don't vote. It only encourages the bastards. Uh, <laughs> and that's kind of the route I'm going with it. I, I don't know. Maybe one day I might end up being full agorist. But uh, at the time, you know, I can use parts of it to help me understand uh, what's going on and just kind of be that example for everybody else in my life. You know, it's like, look, I'm doing this on the side. Podcasting is a great example of this. You know, I get to talk to people that I don't normally talk to. You know, and the internet has been great for that. But the government created the internet. Eh. Maybe. I don't think Al Gore did it. But can I use it against him? Yeah, sure, I can. And today I was even searching, uh, you know, how to use uh, stock market manipulation against <laughs> the state, you know. It's kind of looking at strategies on that, and a lot of that is, you know, very agorist uh, writings. So, but that's all. I just kind of wanted to kind of touch on it. I think I'm getting a, uh, a touch of the flu aids or whatever it is going around up here. Um, so I kind of wanted to make it short before I lose my voice completely. But if you guys could, head on down to the show notes of the of this episode. I've got uh, several different ways you can support the show. Uh, Patreon, subscribe to Star, Bitbacker, Float. Got all those ways. Uh, I got t-shirts and coffee mugs out there on the Teespring store. Uh, again, everything is listed down below. Uh, if you could, uh, if you want a question that you want me to answer, go ahead and send that on over to Rebel with a Cause Podcast at protonmail.com, uh, or you can get on to Anchor FM, and there's a link down there to leave me a voicemail if you want to do that. Uh, if you got guest suggestions or other things, you can also reach me at that uh, same email address. Uh, I love looking at that kind of stuff, and uh, a lot of times when I get guests, it's because, oh, I just found out about this person because they were on another podcast, Perdcast. Like I said, folks, coming down with something. But uh, that's how I got to the last episode, uh, Harley, from the Cryptid Bartender on, because I heard her on Dino Files, uh, you know, another friend of the show. And I was like, oh, well, she sounds pretty awesome and cool. I'll reach out, see if she wants to be on. And guess what? She came on. So that's how it happens sometimes. But if there's somebody I don't, I'm not aware of, and you want to reach me, get on that email, send me a note, and say, hey, you know, you really need to talk to this person. So, but anyways, guys, that'll do it for this week. It's going to be a short episode. Uh, do apologize for that. Uh, but be looking towards the end of the week, and I will have another little bonus episode out of a podcast. Uh, I don't know. Is that be an add-on to the uh, Peace Freaks with Nikki P, where we talk about episode one of The Expanse? And we got lost on a whole bunch of rabbit trails and everything, but uh, <laughs> uh, kind of a good show. But uh, be looking for that one uh, maybe on uh, this Friday, but uh, we'll see. Anyways, guys, uh, take it easy, and I'll see you around next week with a brand new episode of Ribble with a Cause. Out. Out.